Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, University Church. It's so great to be with you. Over the past four weeks, we've been exploring the topic of courage and the call to brave faith that Jesus gives his followers. The dimension of courage that we have talked about are clarity that invokes courage in others, conviction that fuels action, candor that seeks to reconcile with others and speak up against injustice, and hope that takes God at his word. Today, the dimension of courage I want to share with you is fortitude. For a working definition, Reverend Tom Berlin, the author of the study that we've based the sermon series off of, describes fortitude this way. Fortitude comes when we draw our strength from God, rather from our own limited reservoir. When we learn to tap into God's power, courage becomes God's Christian fortitude, the strength to endure. When we learn to tap into God's power, courage becomes Christian fortitude, the strength to endure. Courage is the strength to keep going. Or as St. Dory of Pixar said, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. The character of Dory was voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, who filled in a bit of her own story during an NPR interview. Listen to how Ellen lived out this idea of fortitude personally and professionally during a particularly tough time in her life. Ellen DeGeneres is Dory, who is famous for this. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim. I'm just really like flattered and and honored and in awe that that's part of my legacy as a human being, that I'm attached to this character that has such a positive attitude in life. That character first came to Ellen DeGeneres at a tough time in her life. I hadn't worked for three years. DeGeneres had come out publicly as a lesbian in 1997. She had been starring in the sitcom Ellen, and her TV character came out too. But ratings dropped, and the show was canceled. I was being made fun of for three years. I was being attacked for being gay, and nobody would hire me. And so it was just all of a sudden not being validated as a comedian or as an intelligent woman just because I shared an aspect of my life. You know, it just it just validated what everybody's fear was. It's like you just stay quiet, you have a career, and you'll be fine. And I just didn't want to stay quiet, and it turned me into a political lightning rod. And I just never wanted to be political. I just wanted to be. I wanted to let go of shame and let go of any kind of heaviness. I was carrying around. Right. And then Finding Nemo came along. How did that happen? And You know, I had no idea how big of uh, a deal it would be, but Andrew called, and I didn't know who he was, and said, uh, uh, Stanton, and he said, I wrote this part with you in mind. There's a fish, and she has short-term memory loss. I think he heard my stand-up, because I tend to do these rambling stories where I start one place, and then I end up way, way out. And so um, he heard that, and just he just said, that's that's Dory. That's who that is. So that was kind of my first working gig in a long time, and then shortly after that I started getting offers for talk shows after someone saw me on Saturday Night Live and then I uh, right the first year that my talk show launched is when uh, Nemo came out so it was just a coincidence that the timing was both of those things because I'd been working on that for three years oh wow nice. so uh, it was a, that was the beginning 13 years ago of um, all good things after hearing that 
I don't think we can hear those words the same way. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And there are many of us who need to hear that today. So many of us are in places of deep hurt, grief, depression, fear, and heartache. It's all we can do to just get to the next day, to get out of bed and to take care of our responsibilities. Each one of these acts represents a profound act of courage or fortitude in our lives. The best picture I've ever seen of fortitude was and is my mom. My kids call her Nana, and this picture keeps getting updated every Christmas that we spend at my sister's winery in Texas. We complain every time about taking Nana's Christmas picture, but she won't hand out gifts to the kids until it's taken. So she wins. As a single parent, she did everything she could to take care of me and my three siblings. She sacrificed and did without, and worked hard to give us every opportunity. All along the way, she relied on her faith and friendships in our church to see us through. She could have quit, given up, but she never did. If there's anyone who represents this type of courage or fortitude, this just keep swimming quality, it's my mom. I wonder who has modeled fortitude for you in your life. A relative who struggled with cancer or some other illness but keeps finding ways to serve and invest in others? A friend who's taking care of a family member that others would have written off? A teacher or coach who had a way of bringing out the best in students when others had given up on them? My mom and these others have what an article described as spiritual fortitude. Dr. Daryl Ventagren of Hope College published an article in the American Psychological Journal, Psychological Trauma, compromising several studies of spiritual fortitude that sought to identify what was happening in some survivors. The article defined spiritual fortitude as a character trait enabling people to endure and make redemptive meaning from adversity through their sacred connections with God, others, and themselves. Let me say that again. The article defined spiritual fortitude as a character trait enabling people to endure and make redemptive meaning from adversity through sacred connections with God, others, and themselves. A relatively new concept, spiritual fortitude appears to be useful in understanding the process of adjusting to and thriving in the midst of adversity, suffering, and trauma. At the core of spiritual fortitude is the ability to cope with long suffering. While one of the hallmarks of resilience is expedited recovery from adversity, fortitude places greater value on endurance. Spiritual fortitude is all about just keep swimming. I know Jesus modeled this type of courage in his life and in his ministry, this spiritual fortitude, but he also wanted his followers to begin to practice it in their own lives, beginning with the 12. For those of you who haven't read any of the Gospels, the 12 refer to Jesus' original followers who participated in his earthly ministry. These 12 lived with Jesus 24-7, 365 days a year for three years as he preached the good news healed people, and upset the religious leaders, institutions, and powers of the day. But for this movement to live on, he knew his followers were going to have to be the ones to carry it into the future. 
and they were going to need a particular kind of courage, i.e. spiritual fortitude. So Jesus sends them out on their first mission here at the beginning of Luke 9 with everything they need to just keep swimming. So what does Jesus send them with? In verse 1, we read that Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal sickness. Now, I know some of y'all are saying, he said the D word. Well, in fact, it's two D words. It's demons and diseases. They had power and authority over demons and diseases or demons and sickness. I wonder what it means for those who follow Jesus to be given God's power and authority over evil and illness. I wonder how Jesus gave them this power. Was it through invoking Jesus' name, as we read about in Luke 9, 49? I wonder if it came with an instruction manual. What does appear to be known about Jesus and Luke is that he is more powerful than demons and diseases. He heals people of both throughout his ministry as a sign of God's inbreaking kingdom. Evil and illness have no place where the Messiah reigns. Evil and illness should have no place among the people of God. Spiritual fortitude draws its endurance from the one who gives us power and authority to confront evil and sickness in our world and see it healed. The next way that Jesus prepares the twelve is by commissioning them. We read in verse 2 that Jesus sent them out to proclaim or teach God's kingdom and to heal the sick. They were sent out to preach and teach, but also to heal as a demonstration of God's power. In Luke 12, we read how Jesus chose the 12 to join him. And over the next three chapters, we read how they accompanied Jesus as he set people free from evil spirits and sickness. Maybe what they didn't know was that they were being prepared to do the same. They're about to move from being spectators to being participants with Jesus. And so Jesus sends them out. They are apostles, sent ones. In fact, it will be through the teaching and preaching and the removal and healing of evil and sickness that God's kingdom is announced. Spiritual fortitude draws courage through Jesus as he commissions us to be part of his inbreaking kingdom, to proclaim and to heal. It moves us from being spectators to being an active participant in the good news. The next way I believe Jesus prepared the twelve was through a radical dependence on God. So how were they to do it? We read that they were given power and authority, but here in verses 3 through 5, we read that they were to be completely dependent on God and the hospitality of those they were sent to. Notice all the no's as Jesus tells them to take nothing for their journey. No walking stick to lean on. No bag to stash away things they may find. No bread or no begging for bread. No money to get you out of an emergency. Not even an extra shirt for that special night. No price line. No looking for the best houses to stay in. Stick with the first house that invites you in. And no drama. Don't worry if they don't welcome you or receive my words through you. Just shake it off and go to the willing. We read here that when God calls, 
God provides everything needed to fulfill that call. In fact, we learn a deeper free independence on God's faithfulness. Spiritual fortitude hangs on our radical dependence on God's faithfulness. Verse 6 tells us that they departed and went through the villages proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I wonder, did they get it at least partially right? It seems so. When they came back, they celebrated with Jesus, telling him everything that they had done. Did they get it all the way right? I don't think so, because in verses 37 and 43, we learned that they couldn't heal a boy possessed by an unclean spirit. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up that the boy was set free. So in other words, they had to walk it out. It was trial and error. They were going to have to work it out along the way to just keep swimming to get it done. Spiritual fortitude is the courage to take the first step and to go the distance like the twelve. In the same way that the twelve were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the world, we are called and set out to do the same in our day. We have been entrusted with power and authority to free and heal. We have been commissioned to participate in the inbreaking kingdom of our God. We have been given everything we need to accomplish the mission because our God is faithful. Knowing that, we need to ask the Spirit of God to give us the spiritual fortitude needed to press on. All we need to do is just keep swimming. One case study in our history that can illumine this need for spiritual fortitude involves John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. In his last decades, Wesley became an opponent to the slave trade in England and in the new American colonies of Georgia and South Carolina. His tract, Thoughts Upon Slavery, printed in 1774, contained clear facts, factual observations, and a powerful attack against chattel slavery. Wesley and the Methodists he led joined other groups in England who were fighting to make the practice of slavery illegal. Though they started in the minority, more and more people began to call for an end to the practice of slavery in England. Even after Wesley's death, these groups maintained their spiritual fortitude until the English slave trade was abolished in 1807. Finally, they continued their work until all enslaved people in the British Empire were emancipated in 1833. Now on the other side of the Atlantic, the Methodist leadership of the American colonies protested against slavery. At the conference in Baltimore in 1780, they voted to require those preachers who hold slaves to give promise to set them free, acknowledging that slavekeeping is contrary to the laws of God, man, and nature, and hurtful to society, contrary to the dictates of conscience and pure religion, and doing that which we would not another do to us. Yet Methodists had a failure of nerve after the formation of the United States of America, even though slavery continued to be seen as a moral evil in the view of Northern Methodists. In 1800, a clause, a clause was added to the general rules of the church that any preacher who became an owner of an enslaved person would forfeit their credentials. But by 1804, tensions between North and South were reaching a tipping point, leading to two separate disciplines, the book that governed the church and was created for the Methodists south of Virginia. The section on slavery 
present from the time of Wesley was removed from the South version of the discipline. It was seen as impractical giving that the church wanted to continue to grow and expand in the South and receive the giving of Southerners who enjoyed great wealth due to the labor of enslaved persons and the economy they fueled. When spiritual fortitude fails, morals and values are compromised with tragic results. The church movement that helped to end the practice of slavery in England chose silence and conformity when faced with the evil of its day, creating America's original sin. While it's easy to look back to see the mistakes of those in the past, I believe the Spirit of God has awakened the church to proclaim the kingdom of God in our day and in our city. God has given us power, authority, and a commission to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of our God who longs to free and heal all people. So what does this good news look like for our day? Where are we called to announce the coming of God's kingdom in Chapel Hill and Carborough? I believe it's been articulated by our church council when we committed to closing the achievement gap for students of color in the Chapel Hill Carborough School District. We believe we need to confront the evil of institutionalized racism that has rooted itself in the educational system in order to free and heal all the children and their families in our community. We can't change our country's history and our church's abdication to the evil of slavery and racism in the past, but we can take up the call today. And how appropriate it is to answer that call to freedom and healing on our nation's birthday. How will we proclaim this good news? With the spiritual fortitude of mentors in our schools through Kids Hope and Revision Chapel Hill as students go back to in-person learning this fall. I'll admit, it's been challenging to get these programs up and running with changes in school leadership, institutional roadblocks, and then right when we started to gain momentum, COVID shut everything down. But here's what I know. Like the 12 who Jesus gave power and authority and sent them out to proclaim his kingdom in word and deed and promised to give them everything they needed to see it done, I know that that same God will be with us as we seek to heal the lives of students in our schools. I can't promise we won't hit any more roadblocks or delays or unexpected issues, but I know that if we just keep swimming, if we allow the Spirit of God to empower us with spiritual fortitude like John Wesley and the Methodists in England to abolish slavery, we will get to participate in bringing God's good news to our community. Please consider giving a couple of hours a week as a student's mentor this upcoming fall in the Chapel Hill Carborough School District. We have been entrusted with power and authority to free and heal. We have been commissioned to participate in the inbreaking kingdom of our God. We have been given everything needed to accomplish the mission of God because our God is faithful. My prayer for us is like the prayer of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7, when he's writing to his mentee, Timothy. It's a prayer of celebration for the spiritual fortitude that he was given throughout his life. I pray that we can pray the same during our last days and with our last breath. Hear these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
and I've remained faithful. Or in other words, I kept swimming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.